You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Unlimited, with a new weekly topic to give you a clear vision of God and to start living an unlimited life. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. What is it that God has called you to do? What is it that God Almighty has called you to do? Now, when you hear me ask that question, you might immediately begin to say, well, I'm not sure what God has called me to do. Or you might say, well, God hasn't called me to do anything. Why would God call me to do anything? I'm insignificant. And if you have that reaction, or you might think, well, God hasn't called me to do anything significant. The things that God's called me to do aren't really as significant as somebody else. You can fill in the blank and somebody that you think is doing something significant for God. It's not about your significance. It's not about my significance. It's not about any human being's significance. It's about God's significance. And God uses regular people. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what God does. He's in the business of doing that. Listen, do you still believe that the Bible is a book of exceptions? Is that what you believe? Do you still think the Bible is a book of exceptions? God can use that person. God can use that church. God can use that organization, but he can't use me, can't use my church. That's the problem in our country. All of us are looking around and saying, well, God's doing something over there. Have you heard God's going to do something over there? And in the meantime, what about over here? I want to read about God doing something over there, about God moving in somebody else's life when God could use in my life, when the only obstacle between God moving in my life and God moving in my church could be my life and my church. That could be the only obstacle. Be careful you don't limit what God has not limited. There are only two limiting factors on your life, the ones that God puts on you. Nobody can change the limits that God puts on you. Nobody. Nobody. There are limits that God puts on us. But oftentimes, it's not God limiting us. It's us limiting God. And you don't have authority to limit what God hasn't. You do not have authority to limit what God hasn't. You do not have authority. I do not have authority. All of us together do not have authority to limit what God hasn't. And only those who risk going too far will find out how far they can really go when it comes to following God. Have you really been pushing the envelope? Have you really taken the lid off of what you are capable of in terms of what you can do for God? You, not your wife, not your husband, not your children, not your parents, not your pastor. You. Have you stopped trusting God to use you powerfully, significantly, in a transformative way? Have you started living in yesterday? That was then, but this is now. But I, but, 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 everybody's got a big but. Don't we understand that the Bible is not a book of exceptions? It is a book of examples. The Bible is a book showing how God always uses recovering hypocrites. God always uses people with the past, in the present, and in the future. You've got to be really careful, and I mean you, that you don't limit what God hasn't that you do not limit what God has in, that we collectively do not put a lid on the one who doesn't like lids. 
Are you living your life on cruise control? Autopilot? Ask Elon Musk about autopilot. Tesla, not working out too good. Every time you read the paper, if you still read papers, every time you check the headlines and on the internet, it seems like somebody was using their Tesla, driving their Tesla on autopilot. Didn't work out too well. Autopilot doesn't work out well for anybody who professes to be a Christ follower. You'll get yourself in a mess time after time. This is not the time to tune out and just detach from what's happening. You need to be thinking deeply about your life. You need to be thinking deeply about what's happening in your family, what's happening at your workplace, what's happening in the nation. And then if you're thinking deeply and you're really committed to walking with God, you won't just end there thinking deeply. You will know that there are action steps that you need to take action steps that you need to take to take you from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's what it's about. You are not yet experiencing all that God has for you. Not yet. But if you check out and you begin to limit God, that's not biblical. That's not God honoring. There is nobody in the Bible who was honored Nobody who's commended for sitting down and disqualifying themselves while God was calling them to get off the bench. Many people today have confused Christianity as a spectator sport. They think that, well, if I pray, if I go to church, if I give my money, God will use somebody because he can't use me. Listen, God can use you if you're at a church. God can use you if you're giving your money. But don't confuse showing up as being somebody who's active. Don't confuse writing a check or being generous financially as being a compensation for what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be. Don't hide behind your checkbook. Don't hide behind your circumstances. Listen, you had it rough, I've had it rough. But you know what? I can go out today and I can find somebody who's had it a lot rougher than all of us put together. And they're crushing it for Jesus Christ. They're crushing it. See, the problem is we begin to be self-centered. We begin to wallow in our own wounds. And we begin to mistake the biblical truth, the awesome, inspiring truth that God can use you. God wants to use you. That your past is no hindrance whatsoever. Your age is no hindrance whatsoever. Whether you're on the upper end of the spectrum or the lower end of the spectrum, if you're older or you're younger, completely insignificant to God because you find in the Bible, the book of examples, God using old people that the world had written off. You find in the Bible, the book of examples, God using young people whom the old people said weren't old enough to be used by God. Listen, if you're a young person and you're waiting for an older human being to give you permission to be sold out for Jesus Christ, you sold out. That's what you did. Parents, your number one priority with your children, guardians, your number one priority with your children is to help your children be more surrendered to Jesus Christ than you are right now at a younger age, younger than you. 
They need to go further than you. They need to be stronger in their faith than you. And that means it's good when your child wants to take a risk for Jesus. They actually might be hearing the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. That's what child rearing is about. It's not about teaching people to be polite and cordial. That's not what child rearing is about. And in the church, that's what it's become. Teach your children how to be polite. Teach them how to have good etiquette. Listen, good etiquette is great compared to bad etiquette. Try it when you go out in the restaurant. That's not the primary purpose of a Christian in child rearing. The primary purpose is to raise godly children who love Jesus Christ, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who go further than you, who do greater things than you. The compound interest, spiritually speaking, that over time, it accumulates momentum, momentum, and it becomes parabolic. Where your teenagers, oh my goodness, my teenagers, teenagers are running the church wonderful but they didn't go to college yet praise the Lord the book of examples the Bible says they were unschooled ordinary people unschooled even if you went to high school unschooled ordinary I hope you're so ordinary that you change this whole church I hope you're so ordinary that you change this whole your county I hope you stop being known for snack foods and we start being known for that's where God's moving. I hope that other people get jealous about what God's doing in your county. That's what I hope. And I hope you don't allow yourself to ride on cruise control or autopilot at all if you have been. You might not have been, but you might be. You might find yourself in a possession where you're saying, God's used me in great ways. I got a pretty good track record. Is that all that you can do? Is that all that you can do? Have you settled for what God has done in your life up to this point? Have you lost your hunger? Have you? I don't know. But God knows. And you probably do too. All too easy to go on cruise control. All too easy to get into a ritual. All too easy to get into a routine. Check out mentally. Check out spiritually. And before you know it, you have put a lid, a limit on what God can do through your children. You put a limit on what God can do through you. You put a limit and your family begins to look like every other family. Your interactions at the workplace look like the interactions of just everybody else at the workplace. You're leading in your church like the leadership in most churches, unfortunately. I say that with a heavy heart. You begin to lead in the church the way other church leaders are leading as they're on autopilot. And everybody's watching what everybody else is doing in church. Hey, what's this church doing? Why don't we do what that church is doing? Hey, what's that pastor doing? Why don't we do what that pastor's doing? Why don't we do this over here, what they're doing? Hey, that church is pretty well known. That pastor's really well known. Why don't we do that over there? How come we're not looking to Jesus and getting from Jesus? What should I be doing? What should we be doing? And that brings me full circle. What is it that God has called you to do? And are you fully committed to what God has called you to do? You want me to do the altar call right now? Should I do it right now? You just buckle up with that four-point harness because we're not done yet. We are doing an altar call. You are going to have an opportunity to respond. But I want to ask you that question. More importantly, God wants to ask you that question. What is it that God has called you to do? 
And are you fully, 100% available to him, not waiting any longer for him, not dropping back and punting and throwing back onto God's lap what he gave to you, not hiding behind a veneer of spirituality while I'm waiting for God to. You ever stop thinking maybe God's waiting for you? Maybe God is waiting for you. Maybe in our misunderstanding of what grace is, waiting around for God to do what I can't do for myself, has made its way into our work ethic, our worship ethic. You know, your work and your worship are inseparable to God. You want to know if you're an effective worshiper? The question is, are you an effective worker? If your work is done as an act of worship to God, you get it. But if you have a flick switch mentality, then I'm going to worship because I'm singing or I'm going to worship because I'm going someplace. You don't understand what worship is about. Have you allowed yourself to worship and praise and serve God dependent upon your circumstances? Because if you have, you're already limited. Your circumstances have absolutely nothing to do with your worship and your work ethic and being on fire for what God has called you to do. Absolutely nothing. Now I know because I've been wrestling with that same issue myself, thinking about your circumstances, thinking about what's happened to you, thinking about how you can't get out of fill in the blank, and you begin to think that my circumstances are limiting me. Are you kidding me? You are not reading your Bible. Your circumstances, I don't care what they are, health problem, financial problem, relationship problem, a good looks or lack of good looks problem, a body odor problem. There is nothing you're facing in your life which is a big enough obstacle to keep you from doing what God has called you to do. Do you know what God has called you to do? And are you doing it fully? Or have you sold out? Are we going to read about you in the headlines with a crash in your life because you've been on autopilot? What is it that God has called you to do? Because he has called you to do something. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to have a stellar past. In fact, your past has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the degree to which God can use you. Zip. Zero. Nada. It's not a hindrance at all. The biggest enemy in your life is not necessarily the devil. Don't blame the devil for what's going on in between your own two ears and what you're thinking about yourself and what you're thinking about God. Stop blaming your circumstances when God's not blaming your circumstances. You might be where you are because of choices that you made. Well, start making right choices. God-honoring choices. Spirit-led, spirit-filled choices. What is it that God has called you to do? And why have you allowed anything? Listen, why? Have you let something temporary to delude you and to dilute your fire for God? Are you working because you're making good money? Is that why you are where you are? Is that the only reason why you're working? Because you're making good money? Are you miserable because you're not making good money? Really? Then that means you're living for money. You get your joy and you're getting your satisfaction out of your money. Your circumstances. What is it that God 
has called you to do? And are you availing yourself to God 100%? 100%. Have you in any way put a limit on God? One of the reasons why I love the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter one, because here's a guy who was called by God, appointed by God, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. And his life is a lot like your life and my life. He finds himself incapable, humanly speaking, of having the freedom to go about and to fulfill his God-given calling. And yet this guy, though chained, is completely unchained. He's under house arrest and he is chained. And many of us have allowed ourselves to be chained with something far less significant than house arrest because we've embraced some kind of thinking in our minds. We've embraced something in our mind that's not true about God, not true about the kind of person that God uses, and we begin to disqualify ourselves, or we're operating at 98% our capacity. Are you operating at 98% your capacity? Did Jesus give 98% of himself? Does John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world that he gave 98% of his only begotten son? Is that what he said? Jesus gave it all as the ultimate example that we are to give our all to Jesus as a response in worship. Listen, life is too short to do anything less than your passion. What is the passion that God has put on your heart? What is the passion? Time to dust it off before you know it. The years will turn into decades. The decades will become your life. And you'll look back and say, I didn't. Do what God called me to do with all that was in me. Today's the day to make it right. You might be retired. You might not have any more income. You might have to be good for nothing, figuratively speaking. But are you good for nothing? In your retirement, have you retired from being sold out to Jesus Christ? Don't you remember Abraham, who was far beyond the age, Sarah, far beyond the age to give birth to children. Don't you understand that the whole Christian faith is one that should not be, and it's based on an old man and an old woman having a child that they shouldn't have had because God calls things that are not as though they are? Be careful that you don't let the American mindset infiltrate your Christian mindset. Be careful that you don't let an entitlement mentality dictate your fire and your fervor for God. Don't you dare... Don't you dare sit around and wait for somebody else to recognize you. Don't you dare sit around and wait for somebody else to begin to applaud and to make you popular. It's about purity, not popularity. It's about being sold out rather than selling out to what God has called you to do, to being the person that God has called you to be. And you might think, this guy's preaching a sermon. I'm, I'm not preaching a sermon today. I'm preaching for a decision, and it's yours. I'm communicating with the hope that you will have the audacity. I'm communicating with the hope that you will have the courage. I'm communicating with the hope that you will have the humility to say, listen, this auditorium is full, but this message was from God for me to such a degree that you will say, yes, God, I'm going to agree with you about the truth. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to become who you want me to become. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I'm not going to limit you in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to walk by faith, and I'm going to do 
what you called me to do so I can become the person you called me to become. Philippians chapter one, Paul is in prison and he's writing this joy manual, this how to live the Christian life in the midst of obstacles, this how to be faithful to God in the midst of a faithless age and a faithless generation. He is writing this letter, not only to the Philippians, but also to you and to me. We get down to verse 12 and look what he says here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul would not fit in today at all because he's not whining, he's winning. He wouldn't fit in at all today because here's this dude that is in prison when he received a calling from God to be faithful to Jesus, to tell people about Jesus, to spread the gospel. That's Paul's calling. Clearly, if anyone has ever been called by God, it's the apostle Paul. Well, how do you reconcile him ending up in prison? Not being able to do that with the freedom he would otherwise have. And here, what's Paul's passion? I want you to know that I see this through the eyes of Christ. I see this. This is not about me sitting and sulking. It's not about me. Woe is me. It's not about my circumstances. It's about God's glory regardless of what the circumstances are. Do you see Paul limiting what God can do through him in the midst of his circumstances? He actually sees the silver lining. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a silver lining in absolutely everything. You can't turn around and not see a silver lining if you're a real follower of Jesus. Unless you allow stinking thinking to take over and you begin to think that God promised you something he didn't promise you. That it would be smooth sailing if you follow Jesus. Now you can go to a church and you can hear that all day long. Follow Jesus. He's going to improve your looks. He's going to give you a better car. Going to give you a better looking spouse because after all your spouse was a hindrance to you so you can justify divorce and you can get married to somebody else. You can go anywhere to hear what your itching ears want to hear. The question is, do you want to hear what God wants to say to you Amen. through the Apostle Paul? This is a guy with no limits. He was living an unlimited, unstoppable life. What an amazing example God has given us through the Apostle Paul. Paul's concern, his passion, his fire, he doesn't complain at all. I mean, it's amazing. When you, I got to read it again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul... Why are you so concerned about the gospel? Because Jesus was Paul's passion. The gospel was Paul's passion. Paul lived for Jesus and he lived for the gospel. And he's an example for you and for me. We live not for ourselves. Not to get ourselves out of whatever circumstances we're in. That's up to God to get you out of the circumstance. It's up to you. It's up to me to be faithful to God in whatever circumstance you are facing. Amen. That's what you have a say in. That's what you have a say in. In this entitlement world that we live, this entitlement mentality that's swept through the nation. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Well, I can't because. Well, I would if only. Man, that's nonsense. That's not biblical. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has resulted in the advancement of the gospel. What? So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul, what a sage he is. 
What a wise man he is, helping the people understand. I've got an opportunity to be an example in the midst of a curveball, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, and I'm going to help them understand that it's not just me with a calling to be bold for Jesus. Do you understand what he just did there in verse 14? It's not just for me to be bold for Jesus. It's for everybody who's a Christ follower to be bold for Jesus. Are you bold for Jesus? Listen, if you're going to sell out in the workplace because of what your boss or because of what a coworker or because of what a neighbor might say or the reverse intolerant crowd might say about you, there ain't no way that you're going to be faithful to Jesus if you ever get thrown in prison. In fact, you won't be thrown into prison because you won't do what's necessary to get you thrown into prison, to go against the status quo. Paul's helping them understand, listen, it's not about me. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about me and my boldness only. I know that me and my boldness is significant and that it might cause you to be bold. And he's delighting. He's saying, what's happened to me is awesome. The gospel in Rome It's now going throughout the whole imperial guard. People of influence are now hearing the gospel. Not only that, but other people who know about my imprisonment and have seen how God has used this and how the the gospel is going out through the imperial guard, other people are becoming emboldened. Paul was passionate about the spread of the gospel. Are you passionate about the spread of the gospel? Are you passionate about what's in your pocket? What's on social media? What kind of clothes you wear? Are you really 100% sold out for Jesus Christ? That's why it's hard for us at times to sing songs, I love you. I'm not going to scare you with my voice. It's hard for us to lift up hands because we know deep down inside we lost our passion. Beautiful thing about God is if you've lost your passion, he offers two arms wide open. Come back to me. Listen, if he welcomed the prodigal son back, he can certainly welcome you back. Anybody. Paul's passion was that Jesus and the gospel be proclaimed no matter what. And there was nothing you could do to this guy that would deter him from his Jesus and his gospel. Paul had some ingredients in his life. He had some character traits in his life. He had four particular traits in his life that you need to have in your life. And I'm going to share them with you right now so that you never forget them. The acronym is F-H-A-S. So you need to write these down. You need to understand as you look at the scriptures, you look at what's going on in this person's life that can happen in my life. What can I learn from this person's example so that I learn and I become like that person? F-H-A-S. The first one Paul had this, and you need to have it too. If you're going to be of any use in fulfilling what God has called you to do, if you're going to be of any use in fulfilling what God has called you to do, you have to have this first trait. In my pocket, now in my hand, is a magnifying glass. That's what it is. And today's not a particularly hot day, but if I were to go out today, and I were to hold this magnifying glass at a certain angle, and then begin to move it around all over the place, absolutely nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. But if I take a lesson from my childhood that taught me well, and I used a magnifying glass like this one, and I went out on a day just like today, and I held that magnifying glass at the right angle and kept it there for a prolonged period of time, I would harness all the sun's rays, cause them to converge, hit this lens, come out the other side with laser precision, and I could fry a beetle 
I could start a small fire with a handful of leaves. I could go camping, and this would be all I would need to start a fire. Those of you who are outdoorsmen, you love it. I'm talking about fire, don't you? That's all I'd have to do. Just keep this thing in one spot long enough to get a burn going. You need to have a focused life. You need to focus. You need to know what it is that you want to do and why it is that you want to do it. Do you know what it is that you want to do and why you need to do it? All Christians everywhere, God has called you to be faithful to Jesus, to be all in for Jesus, and to point people to Jesus. That's God's calling on your life. That you would be bold for Jesus, that you would share the truth about forgiveness of sins through Jesus, that you would share the truth about the gospel, Jesus dying on the cross, one died for all. It's God's desire that you focus on that. Listen, it's not about your career. The purpose of your career is to point people to Jesus and to advance the gospel. Can I get an amen for that? Many of us haven't thought about it that way. That's the purpose of your career. The kind of house that you live in, it's not for comfort and convenience. It's to give you a safe place, a shelter, a respite from the difficulties of life so you can gear up, suit up, and get out of that house and tell people about Jesus Christ and advance the gospel. Everything in your life, everything, your education, the purpose of your education is not to make more money. Purpose of your education is not to make more money, if that's it. If you want to make more money and glorify Jesus with that money, awesome. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you have the same calling. Glorify God with your money. The purpose of your life is not to make a name for yourself. Was Paul making a name for himself here? Was Paul making a name for himself? I want you to know, brothers, that this is ruining my ministry. I can't let people know about the Apostle Paul Ministries Incorporated because now I'm in prison and people are going to look at me as a failure. You know, Paul's walk and his ministry and his calling was absolutely married to the reputation of Jesus and the advancement of the gospel. And he's an example for each and every one of us. If you don't understand that, you're not yet at 100% for Jesus. You need to be focused. You may say to yourself, well, I never received a full-time calling to me. You, you didn't. What Bible are you reading? You don't need to get paid to have a full-time calling to serve Jesus. If you're waiting for a paycheck before you start really serving Jesus, then you've sold out. And for those of us who do work for a paycheck for Jesus, you got to be really careful that your passion doesn't become your profession. You've got to be careful that your passion does not become your profession, where now you're simply working for a paycheck, and you're no longer working for the one who gives you that paycheck, and it's not your employer, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to have focus. What is it that God has called you to do? Be a witness for Jesus. Share the gospel with people, no matter who you are, whether you're old, young, black, white, somewhere in the middle, rich, poor, male, female, gender confused, doesn't matter. Is your life focused? Do you know what it is that God's called you to do? I just told you what God's called you to do. Do you know why it is that God's called you to do it? Because that's eternal. It's eternally significant. If you do what's easy now, your life's going to be hard. If you do what's hard now, which is to stand up and speak out for Jesus, your eternal life's going to be easy. The world needs somebody just like you to be courageous, to be bold, to be willing to put his or her neck out where other people are acting like turtles, shrinking back. Now's not the time to shrink back for Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Now's not the time to do that. No, 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 no. This is the exact time when you need to stand up and speak out and you need to be somebody who's on fire for Jesus, sold out in a world that has 
become full of sellouts. Are you focused? What is it that God's called you to do? Laser precision. Don't wander off in all different directions. What is it that God's called you to do? And when are you going to get serious about doing it? How about now? How about today? You can be focused. You need to be focused. Paul was focused. He understood this one thing I do, this one thing I do, I focus. I focus on Jesus and I focus on the gospel. What about you? Are you hungry? Because you need to be hungry if you're going to fulfill God's calling on your life. H, hungry. Last night, did you know that heavyweight boxing history was made? Madison Square Garden? Sellout crowd, a sold out crowd of 20,201 people went to see Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz for the combined heavyweight title in boxing. The WBF, the WBO, the IBF, the IBO, whoever would win that bout would be the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. And the two contenders, Anthony Joshua, six foot six, 21 knockouts, 22 wins, undefeated, undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, six foot six, 248 pounds of muscle with an eight inch reach advantage over Andy Ruiz, who was six foot two, 268 pounds and got recruited to this fight, can you believe this, six weeks ago, because the guy that was supposed to fight was disqualified for testing positive on drugs. So Andy Ruiz got recruited six weeks ago, and in the third round, he gets knocked down. Check out this photograph. Third round, Andy Ruiz gets knocked down. But this is round seven, when Andy Ruiz, the guy on the left, knocked down Anthony Joshua, the guy on the right. The champion is on the ground. The opponent, look what it says on his trunks, destroyer. He's the one. Let's see the next picture. Here he is at the end, after seven rounds, the decision by a TKO. Andy Ruiz won the undisputed heavyweight championship of the world in one of the greatest boxing upsets in history. It's amazing. That's it for the photographs. Wasn't expected to win. An underdog, Caesars Palace had him at 11 to 1 as the underdog. Other outlets had 25 to 1. They expected Anthony Joshua to win. Afterward, they interviewed Andy Ruiz and they said, hey, how do you explain that? He said, well, in the third round when I got knocked down, I realized I'm going to get up and I'm going to give it all I've got. I'm going to give it all I've got. And that's exactly what he did. He gave the champion all he had. And today we're reading about Andy Ruiz being the heavyweight champion of the world in a great, amazing comeback. You know, the commentators said when they looked at the performance of Anthony Joshua, they said he didn't look hungry. He didn't look hungry. He didn't look like he used to be. He was in that ring and he wasn't the fighter he used to be. What about you? Are you the fighter for Jesus that you used to be? Have you let circumstances and time cause you to no longer be hungry for a mighty movement of God in your own life, for a mighty movement of God in your own family, for a mighty movement of God in your church? Have you allowed anything to cause you to go into autopilot mode, cruise control, when instead you should be hungry for God's work in your life? Don't wait for somebody else to be more hungry than you. You be the person who's hungry, hungry for God to move. We could be reading about God doing something in your life, but don't do it because you want to make the headlines.
Do it because you want to get off the sidelines. What is it that God's called you to do? And are you focused? And are you hungry to do it the way Paul was hungry? The way Paul was focused. Look what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You've got to be focused on what God has called you to do, which is to be a witness for Jesus and to be true to the gospel. You've got to be hungry. That's got to be your passion. Your passion's got to be above all else to be a great witness for Jesus Christ. That's why God gives you the money he gives you. That's why God gave you the house he gave you, the car he gave you, the clothing he's given you, the family he's given you. So you could take a hunger to make Jesus Christ known and make him known regardless of what your circumstances might be. Paul was focused and he was hungry. The other thing that Paul had is he had what I would refer to as a triple A. He had an absolute aggressive action plan. An absolute aggressive action plan. He had already made up his mind. doesn't matter what circumstance I'm going to be in because I've settled the issue. I'm going to make Jesus Christ known whether I'm in sickness or in health whether I'm in plenty or whether I'm in want. In fact, later on, he says in the book of Philippians, I've learned this secret. I learned, have you learned the secret of being content in all circumstances? We'll get there. We'll get there. Paul was somebody who had an absolute aggressive action plan. And that's something that you need to do in your own life. Do you have a plan on how you're going to execute what God has called you to do? Who are the sages, people who are wiser than you in a particular area of life that you can consult, people that you can reach out to and say, you know what, I need a little bit of help in this area. You've been someplace where I haven't been. Help me to learn from you. Humble yourself. Ask that person, help me to learn from you, from your wisdom. That's why we call them a sage. Pour into my life. I'm a sponge. I'm an empty vessel. Pour into me. And you know what? That would make you, if you are a sage, that would make you somebody who has a student that you're pouring into. Who are the sages in your life that can help you develop an aggressive action plan to do what God has called you to do? You could be focused on what you want to do and why you want to do it. You could be hungry. You want to do what God has called you to do. But if you don't develop an action plan that is aggressive, that is worthy of what Jesus did on the cross, you're going to stay exactly where you are. You need to make decisions about consulting people, asking people who are further along in whatever area of life that God wants you to be further along in. And you need to reach out to that person. You need to reach out to those people and say, listen, I'll buy you breakfast. It's priceless. I'll buy you lunch. I'll take you out. Reach out to somebody and say, listen, teach me, help me to develop my plan of action so that my focus and my hunger becomes reality. You need to have an aggressive all out If you're not all out with your action plan, you have not gotten to the point where you are sold out for Jesus and the gospel. You need to have a clear, a definite, aggressive action plan that fulfills your focus, that fulfills the hunger that you have. And finally, you need to have a supportive community of sages 
and sojourners. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul had, a supportive community of sages and sojourners. A sojourner is somebody who's traveling with you, traveling companion, somebody who's alongside of you. You can encourage each other, build each other up. The sages pouring in to the students, the students soaking up what the sages are pouring out, what they're dispensing, they're picking up what they're laying down, right? And you have the sages and you have the sojourners working together to fulfill the focus, to fulfill the hunger, and executing the action plan. You know, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what your business is supposed to be. You're supposed to be focused on the agenda of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be hungry on fulfilling and advancing the agenda of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to have a definite action plan. Well, how am I going to take what God is putting into my life, the circumstances that he's taking? How am I going to cause all things to cooperate with him? How am I going to point everything to him, focus everything toward him? You're going to need sages. You're going to need sojourners. You're going need an encouraging community. And when you read the beginning of the book of Philippians, you see that that's exactly what Paul had. And that's exactly what a healthy, growing, productive church has. That's exactly what a healthy, productive family has. That's exactly what a healthy, productive business has. You have sages, people who have been there, done that, traveled the road, humble enough, willing, hungry enough to pour into, focused enough to pour into those who need to learn, who haven't yet traveled. He starts off, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the book of Philippians begins and it's still reverberating in our lives to this day. It's a community of worshipers together filled with sages and sojourners and students and not individually, it's not all about the apostle Paul. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls some people to be apostles. God calls some people to be teachers. Some people to be evangelists. Some people to have prophetic words of encouragement. You say, oh, I'm not getting into that stuff. You want to go into a rabbit trail on that, really, after all this? You want to get into a debate on whether or not there's this kind of a person or that kind of a person? Would you please put that down for a moment? It's not about what kind of title God gives you. It's not about what kind of role God gives you. It's how you use the role and how you use the title, how you focus, how you take your hunger, how you have an an aggressive action plan and how you implement that alongside of other people because the sum is greater than the parts. The sum is greater than the parts. When you take your wood and bring it to the fire, and you take your wood and bring it to the fire, you take your wood to bring it to the fire, and your wood and your wood and your wood and your wood and my wood and my family's wood and your family's wood, and we bring it to the fire, the the fire is going to be much hotter. It's going to burn much more brightly than if I'm just sitting there lighting my own fires. You need to be part of, in an invested way, a community of sages and students and sojourners. That's why something like the gathering is so important. You don't know where to start. Go to the gathering on the second Sunday of every month. Go. Find out what it's about. You might not be part of a life group yet. Then you're not living the kind of life that you otherwise would live. Get involved in the life group. It's good to be part of a large group, but you need to be part of a smaller group where you're processing together, where you're learning together, where you're taking that focus on reaching people. Listen, your life group needs to be focused on pointing people to Jesus. And if your life group is not multiplying, if it's not dividing because it's multiplying, because other people who are far from Christ and don't know Jesus aren't coming, you've lost the vision for your life group. You absolutely can live a life with a clear, definite purpose. You can be somebody who looks at the life of the Apostle Paul and takes him up as the example, not the exception. 
You absolutely can be somebody who is used by God mightily and powerfully, significantly above and beyond your wildest dreams that you can dust off those dreams that you at one time had. You dust off those dreams that you had at one time where God could use you regardless of what your circumstances are, regardless of what your limitations might be, self-imposed as they are. Have you in any way limited God? Are you riding on autopilot? Have you begun to live your life for Jesus on cruise control? Completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. Completely unbiblical. Here's what is biblical. Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. Right now, if you heard the voice of God to you during this time together, no music, nothing. If you heard the voice of God, and don't get up flippantly. Don't get up because you think it's a popular thing to do. You know that you have been stirred. You know that you have been awakened. You know that you've been illuminated. You know that God has touched you. He called you by name. He's reading your mail. If that's you and you are going to say yes to God, change my life, transform me, stand up where you are right now. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.